A pleasant, if chilly, Thursday to you. This is Ozarks at Large for February 16th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. You're listening to 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ahead this hour, Fayetteville Restaurant Week is beginning soon, and one of the attractions will be Chef Kian Lam Co., author of the cookbook Phoenix Claws and Jade Trees. He'll be a guest in the kitchen of Meiji. I spoke with him last week, and he explained how his previous job as a software designer for Wall Wall Street is similar to creating recipes, our conversation in the second half of today's show. First, we're deeply connected to water, and for millennia, we've tried to channel it, direct it, and move it. As Northwest Arkansas continues to build, stormwater runoff continues to move faster. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope continues her reporting on how growth is affecting us and our water. A couple of weeks ago, a winter storm billowed across Arkansas, and just this past week, part of the state experienced rainfall. Usually water evaporates, but some of it rolls over impermeable surfaces, falling into the nearest ditch or stream. This is called stormwater runoff, and it can carry more sediment to waterways like motor oil and pesticides, or cause soil bank erosion because more water is flowing rapidly through a stream. Jane Maginot, the Washington County Extension agent, works in stormwater education and says erosion is an issue rural landowners are experiencing. Well, many of them that have land next to creeks and streams and waterways are going to tell you that they're losing soil and acreage due to that scouring of those cut banks. And there's many things they can do to help protect. Increasing the riparian area around their waterways definitely can help. But um, again, when those storm events happen, they're coming in hard and fast and they're moving trees, uh, fully mature trees when they hit a cut bank. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency requires places classified as an urban area to get permits to manage their stormwater runoff. Once areas like Fayetteville, Centerton, Rogers, and Johnson reached certain population densities in the early 2000s, the agency also requires stormwater education. This is where Maginot comes in, and she says people are receptive. So yeah, I think that we do have a very uh, forward-thinking population throughout Northwest Arkansas on how to protect water and stormwater issues. It is an extremely expensive and not an easy fix. Water is, is a very dynamic thing to be working with. High water velocity eroded an average of almost four feet of stream banks in the upper Illinois River watershed annually, according to a study from the Illinois River Watershed Partnership conducted from 2017 to 2020. The study also found erosion is projected to contribute almost 103,000 tons of sediment and about 154,000 pounds of phosphorus annually into the watershed, which might also represent about 54% of the overall phosphorus load released into the upper watershed, according to the study. The goal of the partnership is to improve the integrity of the watershed through public education, outreach, and conservation and restoration practices. These efforts can range from a program installing 12 best management practices in the region and residential rain gardens to using porous pavements for streets in a development project in Rogers. Leif Kinberg, the director of the partnership, says progress is being made. For instance, the phosphorus standards at the state line between Arkansas and Oklahoma are decreasing. But he also says if certain practices continue at their scale, the situation could not improve. Kinberg says keeping up with projected population growth is another pressure. 
when you think about that level of density, <laughs> the the need to install practices, best management practices, which are you know address that scale of impact on the landscape, meaning developments that are being built on pastures or the stormwater infrastructure that's being piped into Clear Creek, for example, the challenge is pretty enormous. Climate change brings more intense or frequent storms, leading to more flooding events and stormwater runoff. Steve McNulty, the director of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Southwestern Climate Hub, says one of the biggest impacts of climate change is not only the temperature and water on average, but also the variability it causes. So temperatures increasing, you probably heard, you know, by about a degree and a half Celsius, about two to three degrees Fahrenheit over the last hundred years or so. And that doesn't seem like a lot. But when you look at the variability of that temperature, it means that it can be very cold one day and extremely hot the next. It also means that precipitation is changing a lot over that same time period, and it's becoming more variable. So not only do we have more floods, we also have more drought. During tornado season or blistering hot summers, McNulty says he is contacted about extreme weather conditions and the impact of climate change. But as less intense weather conditions roll in, McNulty says the less people reach out to him about the topic. And the point that I wish folks would know is that a lot of these, there are solutions to most of these problems, um, but those solutions take time. And that we need to be constantly working toward addressing those solutions. And, you know, the, the way we address those are by making personal choices. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced her intention yesterday to add a work requirement for some Arkansas Medicaid recipients. Josie Lenora with our partner station KUAR in Little Rock reports. Sanders was joined by the Department of Human Services Secretary Christy Putnam to express her concern that too many Americans are dependent on the Medicaid system. When able-bodied Arkansans don't work, volunteer, or go to school, they aren't just a burden on the taxpayer, they're also being denied a chance to achieve independence from the welfare system. The governor is asking the Biden administration for a waiver to allow DHS to implement the work requirement. Former Governor Asa Hutchinson tried to institute a similar policy called Arkansas Works, which required certain Medicaid enrollees to report 80 hours of work each month to an online portal. The policy was later struck down by a federal judge after 18,000 people lost coverage. Sanders says this new policy would survive a court challenge because those who don't adhere to the requirement will not lose their health insurance, instead reverting to a fee-for-service coverage. The governor says she fully expects to be successful in getting the waiver and hopes for the work requirement to go into effect next year. President Joe Biden has worked to remove Medicaid work requirements in other states. The Democratic Party of Arkansas said in a statement that the work requirement will, quote, hurt Arkansas families and fail in the courts. In Little Rock, I'm Josie Lenora. Legislation which would restrict Arkansas students from using the bathroom aligning with their sex at birth gained approval from a state Senate committee yesterday. Members of the Senate Education Committee voted to advance House Bill 1156 to the full Senate for a vote. Olivia Gardner, Education Policy Director at Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families, disagreed with lawmakers' assertion that the bill would help keep transgender and non-binary students safe. I'm sure that everyone here wants uh, children to be safe in school bathrooms, but there is simply no research to support the notion that transgender children pose a threat 
uh, when they use the bathroom that corresponds with their gender identity. Instead, research shows that three quarters of transgender children surveyed felt unsafe at school, and transgender people are at a very high risk of experiencing violence starting even before adolescence. Republican Senator Dan Sullivan, the bill's co-sponsor, responded to questions from Democratic lawmakers as to how schools would determine individual students' sex assigned at birth when attempting to enforce the law. The school will have training for their staff on how to measure this and how to mandate it. And all schools are different, and all schools will have a different approach. The important part is that all schools are accountable to the law. Uh, you know, we don't do that with football games. Uh, people have unique or any other activity. We don't have specific guidance on how the schools do, deal with it. And I think it's best that each school develop their own policy to deal with that, and that's what the law allows for. Lawmakers also debated over the constitutionality of the bill and whether or not it discriminates against students based on their gender identity. Democratic Senators Greg Letting and Linda Chesterfield were the only audible no votes in yesterday's committee meeting. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season on Saturday, March 11th at Walton Arts Center. Performing music from Sona's debut album release featuring groundbreaking new music that blends acoustic and electric sounds, including works by Paul Haas, Trevor New, and more. After intermission, Sona musicians will raise the roof with the joyously beautiful Symphony No. 3 by Brahms. Tickets and information at sonamusic.org. In 10 minutes, Timothy Dennis will get us ready for a weekend of music that includes two rare performances in our area from British guitarist Matt Schofield. Then Chef Kian Lam Co is coming here for Fayetteville Restaurant Week. That conversation in about 20 minutes. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. The Alice L. Walton School of Medicine in Bentonville announced this week the hiring of Dr. Sharmila Makija as its founding dean and CEO. Makija will begin that job in May 2023. We will hear from Dr. Makija on today's program. Also ahead, we've got final home sales numbers from this past year in Benton and Washington counties. And a Fayetteville attorney is set to become the next president of the Arkansas Bar Association. Those stories and more are coming your way after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Dr. Sharmila Makija will be the founding dean and CEO of the Alice L. Walton School of Medicine in Bentonville. She will begin that job in May. The school is being built near Crystal Bridges Museum and, pending all the proper accreditation, will welcome its first class of students in 2025. 
Malkishev is the department chair of obstetrics and gynecology and women's health at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York City. Born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama, Malkisha said she is a true Southerner at heart, and she is looking forward to making her new home in Arkansas. Uh, my parents were both educators. My dad was a college chemistry professor, and mom was a high school biology teacher. And uh, mom still lives in Montgomery. My dad passed away a few years back. Um, and my niece, Bella and Max, uh, my nephew, live in Birmingham, so it'll be nice to be closer, closer to yeah. them. Well, yeah. so um, so what pulled you into the um, the medical field as opposed to say, you know, uh, architecture or banking or real estate right. or, or whatever? I, mean, I think you said I think your undergrad degree is in chemistry. So yes. just why and how did you want to get on that uh, healthcare career path? Yes. So my, um, you know, I grew up. Uh, you know, like I said, in Montgomery, and my grandfather, so my mom's dad was a physician, and her brother mm. is a physician. And, um, you know, there was really no one in the family that directly I dealt with every day in medicine. They were, my dad, my uh, grandfather and uncle were in India at the time. So I decided, you know, we had a lot of friends, family friends that were physicians, and I was always intrigued, so I'd always go and mm. watch and follow them. Um, and when I was nine, I told my parents, I said, you know, every kid gets to go hang out with their grandparents in the summers, and I, I can't, we can't because they're so far away. So I'm going to go to India so I can spend time with my grandfather, who's a doctor, and, and see if this is what I want to do. And they thought, really, this is what you're going to fly all the way <laughs> to India? And I did. So I flew by myself on Pan Am, and, you know, you had, back then you had people that escorted you. So um, I spent the summer and I would go to the office with him. You know, I did some other fun stuff like painting and dancing and stuff <laughs> like that, but um, you know, the obligatory things you have to do, but I loved going with him. I carried his doctor's bag every day and I would, I felt like my job was to assess the patients that were in the waiting room so I could tell him <laughs> what was going on. So, and a lot of them brought their, their kids that spoke English. They didn't necessarily speak English. And so I would make my notes and I'd go in <laughs> and uh, report. And I just fell in love with being with the people and learning what, what their needs were and trying to help them. And so that, and then I declared that I was going to be a physician. And um, my dad said, well, you know, it might be too hard of a life. What about <laughs> engineering? And I said, well, why would I do something I don't want to do? And they're like, okay. All right. All right. I guess you're going to do that. So since I was nine, that's right. what I knew. And so now here we are. Away you go. And, and here uh, we are. Yeah. And at this, <laughs> so at this, at this point in your career, then you know what intrigued you about this uh, this opportunity here in 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 Middle America to be the founding dean of a, a medical college in in yes. Bentonville, Arkansas. Yes. So I tell you, you know, even though I'm an I'm a healthcare provider, and technically I'm in the healthcare system. I'm like many others who've experienced the good and not so good aspects of the system. And from my own personal experiences with managing my own health and as well as through the lens of being the caretaker of my parents and our family's healthcare needs, you know, it's it's pretty clear the healthcare system is fractured and it needs transformation. And really the the system was was set up to take care of patients with illnesses that required hospitalization, not really to address care you would need at home following hospitalization and 
certainly consistent, effective preventive care is even more difficult to find. So because Alice Walton and her team share similar experiences and views, we really have a, a beautifully aligned vision to, to educate medical students, to prepare them in order to provide you know, more outcome-driven, effective care. And we plan on doing this with a curriculum that integrates a whole-person approach to care, and which really that means looking at the physical, mental, emotional, social aspects of care for patients, as well as for the providers themselves. Um, you know, we see a lot of issues now, right, with burnout and uh, people leaving the, the specialty. And in parallel to this medical education plan, we really are going to work with healthcare systems to design a more a whole health care delivery model, a, a better approach to that. So right. it's really going to be, you know, yes, there's the medical school, but there's a whole uh, plan because you can't just be siloed with just the education. You have to look at the entire system. Right. So that's what really brought me here. This is what's exciting. Tell me how you, you got to know Alice Walton. You're the college namesake, uh, of course, and you mentioned your experiences and your own philosophy and your own ideas about healthcare transformation. How did you get to know her and, how to, and, to, and to realize that you know, her thinking and maybe your thinking, you know, mesh yes. together and, uh, you know, where healthcare delivery is right now and, and where it needs yes. to be heading. Yes. So we, you know, I, like many of us in academics, we get approached by search firms looking for mm -hmm. people to look at positions. And I, they really did come to me. Um, this is pre, pre Walter. I don't know if you know, Walter Harris, yep. he's amazing mm -hmm. and lovely. And, um, so they were looking at hiring um, a clinical affairs uh, vice dean. And I, what I always do is I never say no to things. I want to learn about the place because if it's not for me, I'm going to at least reach out to people I think might be suited for the, the position. So as I was learning about it a couple of years ago, maybe it was two and a half years ago, um, it was intriguing, but I wasn't quite clear. I didn't quite understand what the goal was. And as I spent more time learning um, and as they evolved and were hiring people, I really learned their mission of this isn't going to be just a regular medical school. There's nothing wrong with a medical school as we have them now. This was really going to address the entire aspect of care. And so as I learned more about their vision, and then when I had the first uh, group interview with, with Alice there, and she really spoke to her vision, and I heard it from her directly, and, and it was meaningful because you could feel that it was really deep in her heart. She wanted something different. And we've got more details about Dr. Sharmila Markeesia at nwabusinessjournal.com, and we'll have even more of our conversation in a story in the next issue of the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal later this month. Rising mortgage rates and continued low inventory contributed to a nearly 12% decline in home sales in Northwest Arkansas's two largest counties last year. Real estate agents combined to sell 10,920 residential properties in Benton and Washington counties in 2022. Walmart says it is closing technology hubs in California, Texas, and Oregon. To keep their jobs, the retailer will ask hundreds of workers to relocate to either San Bruno, California, or the company's headquarters in Bentonville. 
and Fayetteville attorney and Bentonville native Kristen Pollock, who is a partner at Miller, Butler, Schneider, Pollock, and Roselle, has been elected president-elect by the Arkansas Bar Association. She will assume those duties at the ABA's annual meeting in June. For all of those stories and more, visit us online at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. I am with Timothy Dennis in the Harold Blanchcock News Studio. Timothy, let's talk some live music. Okay, there's quite a bit happening this weekend. Let's start with tonight, actually. AAC Live in Fort Smith has their next concert. This month, they are featuring Matt Schofield. Oh yeah, you know who this guy yeah, is. Yeah, he's he's kind of a wizard yeah. with his instrument. He's yeah. a very celebrated British blues guitarist. Yeah. Tickets for this show tonight are fifty-two fifty. And that takes place at Five Star Productions, which is just off of Garrison Avenue and 8th Street. It gets underway at 7.30 tonight, but he is also playing at the Lyric Theater in Harrison tomorrow night. Yes. That show gets underway at 7 o'clock again. That's tomorrow night at the Lyric Theater in Harrison. Yeah. Moving on to tomorrow night, back in Fayetteville, it's the first night of the Arkansas Black Music and Film Expo. Right. They're featuring a film screening Friday night, but they are also featuring after that music from the Rodney Block Collective featuring Bijou. That's right. That's going to be fun. This is the first night, the second night, Saturday afternoon, actually, they're going to feature musical performances from the Racy Brothers, Crescent City Combo, and the U of A Pine Bluff Marching Band. Who will also be in the uh, Mardi Gras Parade, as yes. I understand it. Yeah. Yes. And then the after party Saturday night at George's in Fayetteville is going to feature the Yin Yang Twins, Brand J, and Avery Sunshine. I would check on tickets. Yeah, check on tickets. that's a heck of a... Triple bill. Uh, full weekend passes are about $75. Single event passes, they are cheaper than that. You can find out more information at musicmovesar.com. Other music happening in Fayetteville Friday night, Smoke and Barrel Tavern is going to have a shoegaze, hard, and prog rock show featuring the band Goon, who's on the road from L.A., mm-hmm. uh, the band Teeth, who's in town from Austin, and local band Olympics. Mm. a good bill. Yes. Cover for that's $10. That gets underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night, again at Smoke and Barrel in Fayetteville. Elsewhere in Fayetteville, the Beer Keg on Township, they're going to have a show featuring local rock bands Fight Dream and Sleep Clinic. So it's been years since I've been to the Beer Keg. Same. I used to go there when I was uh, the local anchor for Morning Edition. My day was supposed to end around 2. I had a friend who was a house painter, and we would meet at the Beer Keg. At a time that other people would think is unacceptable to drink. But we had both been working a long time. What I remember about the beer keg 
other than friendly clientele. It's small. Incredibly small. So how is this happening? I don't know. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of curious about this myself, but I do know they've been doing more live music there in the past few months. Okay. Which I'm I'm excited about. Yes. That show tomorrow night gets underway at 8 o'clock, has a $5 cover. I just want to say it's been a long time, a couple of decades at least since I've been inside the beer cake. Maybe they've added on. Maybe. Because if you're on, what is it, Township? Township, yeah. You don't see all the way to the back. So maybe no. they've... Maybe the cooler's in a different place. Right. Or maybe they have a back patio area. Oh. That's okay. That would be my guess, but I, right. I don't take my word for it. Right. Moving on. Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville tomorrow night is going to have a metal show featuring the band's Dispositions, Infall, Gala Walker, and Spirit of Dead. are $15 in advance. They go to $20 tomorrow. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night at the Meteor in Bentonville. The gravel bar over in Eureka Springs is going to have Sebastian Bordeaux in the house. He's originally from San Diego. He lives here now, but he kind of mixes uh, rockabilly, jazz, western swing, and blues. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night again at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. Also in Eureka Springs tomorrow night, Got a Hole Brewing is going to have Circle of Thirds in the house. We love them. We do. They've been in our studio a couple of times. That show gets underway at 5 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Gotahold Brewing in Eureka Springs. Then down in Fort Smith, Majestic is going to have a Red Dirt and Contemporary Country show, as they normally do, with the bands Pecos and the Rooftops and the Hooser Brothers. Sounds fun. Yeah. Tickets are $20 in advance. Go up to $25 tomorrow night. That gets underway at 7 o'clock again at the Majestic in Fort Smith. Okay, jumping ahead to Saturday, Smoke and Barrel Tavern is going to welcome back Central Arkansas Rockers to France. Excellent. Cover for that show is $7. That gets underway at 9 o'clock Saturday again at Smoke and Barrel in Fayetteville. No, Matt's Trailside in Fayetteville Saturday night is kind of going to have an acoustic evening featuring... The Hooch Fire Hoofers, they're a new folk jazz duo. I love that name. Candy Lee and Corey McKelvey from Dandelion Heart. Oh. Candy and Corey, they both have forthcoming albums, yeah, and I've do. heard a bit of Corey's, and it it's something else. Excellent. Cover for that show is $5. Gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday, again at Nomad's Trailside in Midtown Fayetteville. Got a Hold in Eureka Springs Saturday evening is going to have uh, Mick Bird in the house. He's a singer-songwriter from the Missouri Ozarks. Let me know love's real. The mountains touch the sky. The snow's so 
That gets underway at 5 o'clock Saturday, again at Gotthold Brewing in Eureka Springs. And then Majestic down in Fort Smith Saturday is going to have a show featuring what I would call contemporary honky-tonk, featuring music from Grayson Jenkins and Pony Bradshaw. She danced the rustic dance, hallelujah on the mountain, buck into the rhythm of old Appalachia. It's a hell of a heaven and a hell. Tickets are $12 in advance, go up to $15 at the door. That gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday night at the Majestic in Fort Smith. Okay, Sunday. George's Majestic. Wait, we're only to Sunday? Yeah, we're only to okay. Sunday. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have. Two bands I've actually had in our studio before, Ashton Barbary and Dawson Hollow. I love both of them so much. I do too. I do too. In fact, the first time I saw Dawson Hollow perform live at stage 18 years ago, I clapped so hard that I woke up the next morning with bruises <laughs> on my hands. Have you heard their Christmas covers? They did some Christmas songs. I have not, but I just noticed it yesterday yeah. when I was preparing for this. Knowing them, I'm sure it's amazing. Oh, it really is. Cover for that show Sunday at George's is $12. That'll get underway at 8 o'clock Sunday night, again at George's in Fayetteville. And if you're needing one more thing, Monday evening, George's in Fayetteville is going to have a set by the Fayetteville Jazz Collective. It's an all-ages show, covers $5, gets underway at 7 o'clock Monday night, again at George's in Fayetteville. Sounds like a wonderful Monday night. It really does. Timothy, thank you. Thank you. From music to food now. Meiji, on Crossover in Fayetteville, will host a guest chef, Kian Lamco, author of the cookbook Phoenix Claws and Jade Trees. It's for Fayetteville Restaurant Week. Before he was a chef, he was an aerospace engineer and software developer for Wall Street. When I talked with him last week, I asked him about his current passion. I love cooking and I enjoy it. I love food. Um, I love to uh, learn more about you know, the background, the information about uh, a particular cuisine, a particular technique, a particular dish. So for me, teaching is sharing that passion. It's like whatever uh, it is that I, I find food interesting, um, you know, teaching is sharing of that knowledge, um, being able to uh, tell people how I feel about this particular dish, how I feel about this particular technique, um, and also share the um, the knowledge of say a particular uh, where this particular dish came from and how it was you know inspired by certain things. So that's how I see as educating. And dishes, food, cuisine has soul, right? Yes, absolutely. And that's exactly what I try to share as well, is to share the soul of the cuisine itself. Because I, um, you know, I feel like being a, uh, a Chinese, and I also understand uh, with my family background, and also I understand the language, uh, you know, so I can really uh, use my uh, ability to go out and, and find more information, learn more about that particular cuisine, is what makes it different for me from somebody else who can share, uh, you can teach about, uh, you know, this particular cooking and this particular cuisine. Whether you're in your own kitchen or whether you're a guest chef in at a restaurant kitchen, as you're creating and preparing the food, do you sometimes think about that back history that you have learned, whether you're using a spice or a certain recipe? Well, I actually do. 
In fact, um, you know, because my recipes, uh, in fact, whenever I teach people about cooking, I tell them recipe is not something that you followed, uh, uh, you know, uh, verbatim or word by word. I mean, it is a guideline. It is a, uh, a roadmap of how to get there. Um, but, you know, you can go through your own certain byways of getting there. You know, you can you can uh, stop and admire something on the way there. Um, and that's what cooking is like, is that you create your own recipe, you create your own food by uh, understanding that, that roadmap to get to the destination. But how you get there, you know, is, is your own um, creation. It's your own enjoyment. It's, it's your own... Uh, uh, and, you know, uh, appreciations of that particular food. And so I, I absolutely encourage people to always just uh, make, uh, uh, personalize a recipe. Make sure that you actually uh, read the recipe and making it your own. Improvise, if you Improvise, desire. exactly, exactly. That is, that is the perfect word. You improvise uh, on, on, on that recipe, yes. So I know I'm 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 a big believer in, of not following um, a, le- a recipe to the you know to the you know the the tea. Have you been passionate about food as long as you can remember? Oh, absolutely. Um, even when I was a little kid, you know, I I grew up in Singapore, <laughs> and um, you know, we I grew up in this big family that uh, that we. Uh, uh, we have an extended family of you know my aunt and uncle and, and us. We all live under the same roof. This is a very traditional Chinese family, and um, because of the size of the household, we do help help. Uh, and you know, I would all, um, regularly go into the kitchen and try to help the, the cook to make you know prepare some things and do something. And and so for me, that has always been uh, you know a joy. I've always enjoyed doing that, um, and. Up, you know, up until I, I started coming to uh, the U.S. for school, because I, I came to the U.S. Uh, for university study. Um, at that time, you know, I was living by myself, and I started cooking for my own. It's it's just a continuation of what I have enjoyed from when I was a little kid. Yeah, absolutely. You came here for university, but it wasn't culinary school, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I was an engi- I was an engineer uh, from. Well, I really was. Uh, I studied engineering in school. I studied um, aerospace engineering. But um, my for the, for the most part of my personal uh, uh, professional career, I was a, a computer software developer. I worked for Wall Street for many many years, and it wasn't until only about a little ten years ago, perhaps, that I started uh, writing. And I started um, um, formally actually uh, researching for food, uh, and 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 that's when I, you know, more or less started concentrating on cooking, and I um, started doing a lot of. I, I went to a uh, restaurant and I actually started at the restaurant for about a year, uh, although that that particular restaurant is not a Chinese restaurant, by the way. Uh, but I after I after I started um, writing, I decided that you know, uh, given my language knowledge, given my uh, family background, I would like to just concentrate on Asian Chinese cooking because that's uh, a field that I know very familiar with and I think that is something that I should be able to share my passion about 
And that's how I came about uh, writing and teaching about Chinese cooking and doing a lot of consulting work at restaurants. Is there anything similar in the process of thinking about how to create a dish and creating, developing software? Um, you know, it's actually very similar. I mean, you know, we talked about recipe. Uh, you know, your recipe is sort of like a, a, a software, uh, you know, like coding as a software. Uh, a computer program tells the computer to do certain ways how to get to the final destination. But, as you, uh, you know, many individual programmers can create that route differently to get to the end point. And that was exactly the same idea or concept that I was just talking to you about. How, you know, uh, even though we're all, the destination is going to that one final dish, but how to get there can be your own way of getting there. And so, so I suppose uh, uh, the analogy would be like if you're cooking, it's just like you're, you're a computer programmer programming how to cook. <laughs> That's uh, how to create that dish. That's exactly, I, I see it. That's how I see it. And I think you're right. It's, it's very similar. Yeah. Is it okay if I ask you three potentially silly questions? That had to do with okay. It. Okay. First potentially silly question: Do you like to grocery shop? Um, I do. Uh, I, I actually, you're right. I actually do like to grocery shop. In fact, uh, you know, I travel the world frequently, or at least before the pandemic, yeah. <laughs> <I> did. <laughs> um, and um, everywhere I go, one of the one of the activities that I always do is to go to the local market. I'm not talking about the supermarket, uh, you know, the you know the convenience stores. I'm talking about the 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 uh, you know, for example, in Europe they have the the, um, the, the market day, uh, green markets and such. Um, or in Asia, there's the um, the what we we consider a wet market where you can actually buy live fish, you know, fresh poultry. Uh, uh, and those are the kind of market that I like to go because you discover ingredients. I mean, people, you know, um, uh, in, cook food ingredients that are used locally, and you talk to these people and find out what they're doing, what they do with these ingredients. And that, to me, is fascinating. And yes, I do like grocery shopping. I- <laughs> All right, potentially silly question number two: Is there? an instrument or tool in your kitchen that is your favorite? Do you have a favorite spatula? Do you have a favorite, I don't know, big... Okay, um, I, you know, I do. In fact, you know, these are not silly questions, by the way. I think they're wonderful questions. Um, so uh, the implements, my favorite implements is actually a tong, uh, you know, the, for, for cooking that you can, you can, you can because you can easily pick, pick up food with the tong and, you know, flip it over and um, a, a, a little derivation of that, actually, I like to use um, a chopsticks that are, you know, just cooking chopsticks. These are, these are chopsticks that are about two feet long, and you can actually uh, use it to, to cook with it like a tongue. You flip the meat around, you flip the vegetable around, you can use that. Um, and so that's the, the kind of implement that I actually enjoy to use, yes. All right, third, possibly silly question. You mentioned that you travel the world. You like to go to markets. I don't know if these exist in Singapore or New York City or anywhere else you've been. Have you ever cooked with or tasted a pawpaw? I have never tasted a pawpaw, no. I actually, I, in fact, I don't, I don't, I, I have never even seen it before. I mean, I've seen it in a picture, uh, but I've never 
seen it in real life, and I actually do not know what a pawpaw is. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I mean, the Ozarks, we have pawpaws, but they won't be in season when you're here. But come back sometime when it's warm, and we'll get you a fresh pawpaw. I would love that. I'd love to try it because I've seen, uh, I've read a lot about it and I've seen pictures and I would really wanted to try, um, uh, you know, it, it, whatever it tastes like, I have no idea. I it's, would love to try it. It's sweet. It's messy. It's, people say it's a, um, an it's acquired... a soft and pulpy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think people who are not Ozarkers, when they first taste it, they say, oh, this must be an acquired taste. I don't think so. I think you like it. I think a lot of people like it instantly. It's just a little different. Okay. Well, I'm into different. <laughs> so, Excellent. The name of the cookbook is Phoenix Claws and Jade Trees. Chef, thank you so much for your time and being so gracious for the, with this visit. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to come on your show. Chef Kian Lamco is the author of the cookbook Phoenix Claws and Jade Trees and will be a guest chef at Meiji as part of the Fayetteville Restaurant Week. Fayetteville Restaurant Week begins Sunday. It will last through the 25th. Much more information by following links at experiencefayetteville.com. KUAF's concert series, The Lunch Hour, will be taking place on Saturday, February 25th during the 5th annual Black-Owned Northwest Arkansas Business Expo at the Fayetteville Town Center from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. We will be celebrating Black History Month alongside more than 60 Black-owned businesses in the region while enjoying food from local Black-owned food vendors and music from artist and filmmaker Mike Day. For more information on the event, visit KUAF.com and look for The Lunch Hour. Tomorrow on Ozarks, when University of Arkansas Associate Professor Jason Burrow was auditioning to be Associate Music Director for a touring production of Hamilton, he got notes. The notes were crazy specific. They were like, you know, this one eighth note in that thumb has to sound more like this drum. And this eighth note and this pinky and this sixteenth note here is a little bit out of time. What happened next on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon, 7 p.m. And by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Pedimeter. We open Sound Pedimeter today with bassoonist Lee Munoz performing Lapis Lazuli from Colored Stones, a piece by California-based composer Jenny Brandon. Brandon says about her piece, quote, Some cultures and spiritual practices believe stones have powerful qualities such as the ability to heal, protect, and offer spiritual guidance. In this piece, the bassoon explores these beautiful stones' unique qualities. Lapis lazuli was used by kings and queens in paintings and ceremonial robes. This deep blue stone is believed to help foster truthful expression and communication, support the immune system, and bring peace. End quote. I hope these qualities are passed into you while you listen to Lee Munoz's magical performance.
Basuni's Lee Muñoz's beautiful and expressive performance of Lapis Lazuli from Jenny Brandon's piece Colored Stones, a movement that portrays the beautiful blue color of the stone as well as its healing qualities. The concha bassoon is an instrument rarely heard on its own. The contra, as we call it lovingly, it's one octave lower than the bassoon and considerably larger. Quote, when my dear friend and very accomplished bassoonist Anthony Panther approached me to write a piece for him to showcase his contra bassoon, says L.A.-based composer Dave Volpe, I was inspired immediately. It isn't often we get to hear the contra bassoon on its own. As the lowest instrument in the orchestra, it is usually supporting the strings or brass with its sepulchral depths. Few are aware that this deep leviathan has a lyric side. Not only did I want to exploit its more expressive qualities, I wanted to take it to its extreme. I wanted to dance. And so poured out this tune that I called Oak Demon. It is taunting and playful, yet menacing at the same time. A combination that only a contrabassoon can achieve. End quote. Thank you. 
Smoke Demon for solo contrabassoon by composer Dave Volpe, performed by Anthony Panther. Today was inevitable. As a bassoonist myself, I always want to share with you bassoon and contrabassoon performances that speak to my heart. And that was what I did today, highlighting the beautiful work of friends and colleagues, Lee Munoz and Anthony Panther, and composers Jenny Brandon and Dave Volpe. Rest assured that my instrument will return to sound perimeter, but sooner or later. This is Leo Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Batson. Today's show and today's sound perimeter, produced by Timothy Dennis inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Contributors today included Anna Pope, Timothy Dennis, Leo Ribe, Josie Lenora, and Paul Gatling. Thank you, Stephanie Brock, for your assistance today. And thank you to the tireless news crew at KUAR for additional material you heard in today's program. The underwriting director at KUAF is Ryan Versi, and you can ask him any question you have about underwriting and supporting KUAF by sending him an email. You can send that email to ryan at KUAF.com. Don't forget, you can listen to past full editions of Ozarks at Large or, if you'd rather, individual stories and interviews by going to OzarksAtLarge.com. And with those individual stories and interviews, we give you handy little links that then let you share them with uh, people you'd like to share them with through email or social media. And you can keep up with what you may have missed every weekday edition of Ozarks at Large by subscribing to our absolutely free Ozarks at Large daily email newsletter. You get it every morning, Monday through Friday. It tells you what was on the previous day's show, and those handy links are there again, so you can listen to what you want instantly. Just sign up at KUAF.com. All right. From inside the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. Please stay warm, be well. We'll talk again tomorrow.